0: Learn more at marines.com. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay and the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles' ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty?
1: Cannon, an espionage blog covering your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm PD, e. and I'm here with Josh Quisen. How's it going, Josh? Pretty well. How are you? Doing very well. Good to see you again. Uh, the Jackets were in action last week, and it was a very up and down week. They went one, one, and one. Uh, starts with a another road defeat this time in Toronto. Uh, came home had their first loss past regulation to Anaheim. And then they went on the road and actually broke their road losing streak with a narrow overtime victory over the Seattle Kraken in their first ever trip to Seattle. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the the road woes the Jackets have been having. We had an article last week about that. The fact that it was just a one-goal loss to Toronto, the fact that they got a win in Seattle, do you see any signs that they're maybe starting to fix their road problems? Or do you still see issues there?
2: I mean, there's still issues. A win is obviously... You know, taking that first step, but that Toronto game, Mm -hmm. I you got to give them props for not folding when it was I think five to one. But at the same time, that one is the score is very deceiving. The final score, uh, considering what was it the last three minutes they put two goals in with one coming in the last second of the game. So, I mean, with a team like Toronto, they can shellac you pretty easily if they uh, if they get going. But the Kraken game this week, I have a one year old at home so it's pretty hard to stay up with those uh yeah yeah those late games but so I'm watching it and I'm up four to one so I'm like oh cool I can uh I can probably take a nap for the third period and chalk that one up as a win but of course I was unable to fall asleep and I'm checking my phone checking the, the updates on that one and of course they type so I have to watch overtime <laughs> but I mean that was a, that was a tough one to watch like I almost you almost expect it now that they're gonna. If they give up a goal, then I'm like, oh, here gates are opening. What was this one? Seven seconds apart, something like that, something really quickly that they scored two goals when uh, when Geeky had the answer to the uh, the third goal.
1: Yeah, it it was uh, yeah, it was 22 seconds between goals there in Seattle. It was it was against Toronto that they gave up two goals in seven seconds. That, okay, which is just absolutely excusable. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it,
2: it's that and uh, closing out periods has just been brutal. But yeah, I mean, they salvaged it, but it was it was a win where you still didn't feel great about it. You felt great with the extra point, but uh, letting an expansion team come back on you with, uh, with three goals in the third is not a great feeling. But uh, heading on that Western Canada trip to get those two points out of the way and you know get off on the right foot, I guess, is is huge going forward. So we'll see how they do on this trip, and I guess even if they end up playing Calgary on Saturday, you probably heard that they. Uh, are postponing them
1: up until Thursday, I think. Yeah, yeah. Cal- Calgary is, is postponed until at least Thursday. We're supposed to play there Saturday. Saturday. Uh, I'm not getting my hopes up about, about going to that one. And then I saw that there are some Carolina Hurricanes players that just yeah. went on the protocol in Vancouver, which is where the Jackets are going to be on uh, uh, just uh, t- tomorrow. Yeah, and sa- to Tuesday tomorrow, night, yeah. the Jackets are playing in uh, – in uh, Vancouver. So that uh, is a situation to keep an eye on for sure. Very alarming of course. Um, but yeah, back to the hockey, I agree the late, the late period things, that seems like an issue that has been plaguing the team for years now. I don't know if it actually is, or if it's just confirmation bias. that every time it happens, we're like, Oh God, they always do this, you know, but it seems like it's an issue. And, and that feels like an inexcusable one to be because that's a, it's, and that is a totally a mental problem right? If you're looking ahead to the intermission break, and so you just start loafing, and you, you cannot afford to do that. If anything, I feel like when it's down to the final minute or so, players should be looking to empty their tank. Because you know that's going to be your last shift of the period, so you might as well go all out and give all your effort into it. Um, so for them to just loaf in the final minute, um, and the teams take advantage of it, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, and giving up goals in quick succession like that Again, that feels like a mental problem. Like, it's just a complete lack of focus. Um, When, if anything, if you've just given up a goal... Response shift. Yeah, your goal should be to immediately swing momentum back your way. And instead, yeah, it's... They gave up these massive momentum shifts to the opponent. I mean, against Toronto, because that was a game where... Yeah, the Jackets were, again, getting outplayed on the road, but, you know, they... They got a goal back in the second, and I thought, all right, go into the second intermission, 3-1. A two-goal deficit is manageable. Like, that's still something you can claw back into the game. But then Toronto scored those two back-to-back so late in the period, and all of a sudden now it's 5-1 going into the break. And that just feels insurmountable, especially against a team like Toronto, to make up a four-goal deficit. And, you know, hey, give them credit that they made it close. I do appreciate that. I feel like that is a sign of growth from the team because there have been some other road losses re- recently where they got down and they stayed down. And they lost, you know, at 6-1, 6-2, things like that. So this game could have gotten even more out of hand. And I appreciate that they didn't let that happen, that they still put points up on the board. But it's still too little too late in that game. And again, Seattle, again, you're up uh, 4-1 on the road just just close it out <laughs> it's, you, yeah, that's you that's a lead grind that that's a lead you should be able to hold if you're going to give up a goal fine but like to give up two in succession all of a sudden then it's a one goal game and the Kraken have all the momentum and they're at home and it's, they've got their their home fans on a saturday night you know uh you just you can't let them back into the game at all like that if you give a team a little bit they're going to they're going to take it and run with it
2: yeah, they scored those two goals within the first five minutes of the third period. So they had 15 minutes to score the equalizer. And at that point, like you said, all the momentum was there. Fans were going crazy at that point. They, blood was in the water, and it was only a matter of time. They were lucky to get out of that with, uh, get it to overtime and win.
1: They just they made a completely new game. And and you know I'm glad they got the two points because I think the Jackets for how they played in the first two periods. They deserve the two points, you know, but the problem is it's a 60 minute game, not a 40 minute game. This team for just for some reason isn't built to play a full 60 minute game. And the good news is that, you know, Seattle's not in our conference. So them getting a loser point doesn't really hurt us, but you can't afford to do that against a division opponent because every point matters in this tight division race. So we talked about, you mentioned the road trip and we've got these games coming up. So in advance of the road trip, they made some call-ups, which... You usually see that when you're going off on a long trip like this. You want to have some extra bodies just in case something happens because it's harder to get guys up or down from Cleveland. So they called up Emil Bemstrom, who uh, went on IR right before the start of the season. Uh, He had a long recovery, was then practicing with the Jackets for a while, even traveling with them, but not activated. When they finally did activate him, they sent him to Cleveland for a few games. But he's been called up now for a few games, has not yet cracked the lineup. Are are you as mystified by that as I am? Yes. I I have been a
2: Bemstrom fan for a while now. I mean, in is this his third year? I, I don't think he's he even played a full season's worth of games. I think he has right. about 76 right now, 25 points. So, I mean, if, if you had a 25-point rookie season,
0: mm-hmm.
2: in say so you played a full season, you know, that's not too bad. And last year, near the end, he had that hat trick and was just coming along. And then this year, with all the... The new talent that was brought in, he found himself on the bubble. Was actually in training camp. He was uh, he was playing with the scratches a lot, and he was that final uh, preseason game. I think he scored two more goals to give him five, which was the yeah. lead for the team. And obviously, like you said, he had that was it a oblique injury that put him out for a while, something like that, yeah. And yeah, he just they. I don't know why he hasn't gotten a chance to get in yet. Granted, the team they have been more offensively gifted than. Pretty much any one expected thus far, so I mean they weren't hurting for goals too bad, but uh, I I do think he should be in. I do like the way that Justin Danforth is playing, so I think he should stay in. And I, I know that it's kind of been him and Hoffman that are coming out of the lineup. Yeah, and obviously Chenikov needs to get back in there too, but that's a another story. But yeah, I do think Bemstrom should get in on this trip for nothing else. Is get he needs to play. He needs to get confidence. He went down to the Monsters, I think, for a handful of games, I and mean, he only scored one goal. But I mean, just just got to get him going. I mean, if you put him in, I mean, I was looking at the lines today, and I really don't know where he'd come in now that Patrick Line is coming back. Because even with that, it looks like either Hoffman or Danforth is already coming out. So at this point, who else are you going to take out to put him in? And then you're still trying to find a spot for Chinikov. So I mean, aside from taking out a vet. I really don't know where he goes, but I do think he needs to get in there quickly.
1: Yeah. Bemstrom was a guy who, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect from him coming into the season, but I was really impressed with what I saw from him in preseason because he was showing a real 200 foot game. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, he was scoring in preseason, which we love to see and we expect him to be a scorer, but even when he wasn't scoring, he was still having a positive impact on the ice, whether he had the puck or whether he didn't have the puck which is really what I wanted to see from him. And it made me think that this wasn't a guy that had to have a top six role, that he wasn't just like this offense-only sniper. Um, It showed that, oh yeah, you could maybe put him in the bottom six and he would be a scoring threat from the bottom six while also being able to play the defensive role. Now, ironically, I feel like that role has been taken now by Alexander Texier, who has continued to be a scoring threat while playing on that, prototypical checking line with Corrale and Robinson. So that's taking a, a, that line would be a fit for Bemstrom, but you're not going to take those guys out. Yeah, I would not hesitate to take out Hoffman or Danforth. They've been playing well enough for what they've been asked to do. My issue with them as it has been all season is just that I don't see what the future is for them here in Columbus because of their age. And so it's nothing against them. It's just that this season is about preparing for the future and, you know, Chinikov is part of the future. Bemstrom could still be part of the future. You know, I think he's, he's going to be an RFA this summer. And I think we need to see another shot of what he can do in the NHL. And that's, that's a great point you make about his games play that he really hasn't put up a full season's worth of games yet. So that I think there's still a lot more to see from Bemstrom that we haven't had a chance to see because of stoppage, you know, season stopping because of his own injury issues, and all that. But if he's healthy now, you got to play him. And, and both of these guys, Bemstrom and Chinikov, it doesn't do them any good, their development, for them to be scratched. If you're not going to play them in the NHL lineup, even though I think you should, but if you're not going to do that at least, then they should be in Cleveland. And they should be getting top-line reps in Cleveland. Because there's just no... And you know, earlier I argued that, well, if you're going to scratch Chinikov occasionally... Well, at least then he he's practicing with the team. He's working with the coaches. He's adapting. There's things he's learning that way. But now it's been what like four straight games or so that he's been scratched. Really? That is too many games in room for him to be scratched. If that's going to keep happening, you got to send him down. And yeah, if you if you want to put all three of those guys in, if you're including Line A, oh boy, I, Gus Nyquist, I think is, is a guy who I've yet to see enough from him, so I maybe consider giving him a break. You know, then there's the question about Cole Sillinger. You know, there's a chance they they could still send him to Team Canada for World Juniors. Where do you fall on that? Do you think that that's worth doing?
2: I do. I think he has hit a wall a little bit. Got off to a great start, and he's not he doesn't look overwhelmed most games. Mm-hmm. I do think they would do it if they're if he wasn't playing in the middle and they had better center depth. Right. I think they're just worried about the the depth down the middle, and that's what's holding them back from letting him play with for Canada. But I do agree that it would be good for him, good for his development, and even just to get more confidence back because he's gonna. He would be a big part of Team Canada, and like yeah. I read that uh, World Juniors is just the dream of every Canadian kid growing up. So I mean, he probably wants to go. But like in all the interviews, he's saying all the right things. Yeah, I, I do think that it would be good for him and even good for the team, like you said, just to we can get some blood in there because like you also mentioned it is about seeing what we have going forward and cylinder is going to be here he's 18 so mm-hmm. we have a lot of time for him <laughs> sure uh, but yeah so we'll see it, i read that it they said uh this could be like a dropping off point if they do make a change to, and you know decide to let him play where they could leave him in canada so we'll see where that goes
1: the tournament is being held in alberta Um, I believe Team Canada is having their camp in Calgary, so when the Jackets are there, yeah, he could just stay there. I'm still in the position that he should stay with the NHL team because I feel like this is where he will learn the most and develop the most. He's got to learn to be an NHL player, so the best way to do that is to stay in the NHL. As you said, the center depth, that's also a reason to keep him here. If this team still wants to be competitive, which they are for now, then... I think you know you need to have that center depth. But I think you have at least talked me into not being upset if he does go to Team Canada because I think Danforth could fill in in a center role, and it would give both you know Bemstrom and Chinnikov a chance to get back in the lineup as well, which could be useful for seeing what those guys have. One last prospect I wanted to discuss was uh, Jake Christensen, who got called up. So he could be in line to make his NHL debut at some point on this trip. He's been with the Monsters all season. First of all, for people who just aren't as familiar with him, how would you describe Jake Christensen as a player? I mean, this year he stepped in and he's been playing top pairing minutes for the Monsters. He's been leading
2: the way back there. He's got 18 points already this year, 21 games. So he's almost playing point per game on the back end. He was undrafted and is well on his way to being an All-Star this year for... uh, the monsters he's um, definitely been leading the way back there he uh, I honestly I wouldn't be surprised to see him slot in tomorrow if uh, if they wanted to get him in he's from uh, he's from Vancouver so I mean okay. what better uh, sure what better time to get him into the lineup for a game but yeah I remember when they signed him out of uh, everett and you know he put up big numbers there too and I, I wasn't really expecting him to really ever make the jackets he would just seem like a depth signing for the monsters but I mean, by and large, he has exceeded all expectations and just been a rock back there for them. He's, I think he's a plus, plus five or plus four at this point, too. And uh, the Monsters haven't had that great of a goal differential. They've been hanging in there. But for him to be a positive uh, on the back end and leading the way in points has been uh, very impressive.
1: Yeah, you know, I remember when the Jackets signed him because they signed him the last time the Jackets were on the Western Canada road trip, which was early March of 2020 and the, se- you know, the season was just a couple weeks away from shutting down. And I remember it was it kind of flew under the radar that they made this signing that you know this guy was playing in the WHL, was going to finish the season, and then you know would be able to join the Monsters next fall. It is interesting how his stock has risen. It feels like the Jackets recently, they've had this knack for these players that they draft in the late rounds or that they sign as undrafted guys, but they catch these guys right as they are about to take off. You know, they get these guys that are late bloomers, late risers, but they do catch them on the upswing. The fact that he is such an offensive talent, it's great to hear that he's putting up these points in Cleveland and with Adam Boquist getting injured. And Boquist have been playing so well. Yeah. See, you hate to see a guy get injured anyway, but especially when he's on such a heater. Um, so I think that would be a perfect opportunity to get Christensen in there to replace the offense that Boquist provided.
2: Not that they need it since they have... Uh... Bean and Wierenski but he was he does man I believe one of the top I think it's a top power play unit in Cleveland too so I mean he has that those skill set where you can play him in a sheltered role you know five on five but uh if you did want to try to get some of that offense out of him out there you could throw him out there on a power play unit and see what he has
1: yeah why not right (laughs) all right we will be back in just a little bit to talk about our former coach in the news
0: today's episode is brought to you by cars.com
1: John Tortorella, our former head coach, who's now a analyst for ESPN, he was a point of discussion last week, uh, based on comments that he made about uh, Trevor Zegras and Sonny Milano. Um, of course, last week, uh, last Tuesday in Buffalo, those two combined for a highlight reel goal that is an early goal of the year candidate. It's maybe one of the more impressive goals I've seen in a long, long time in hockey. Trevor Zegras did the the quote-unquote Michigan move where he lifted the puck up onto his stick, but instead of scoring the goal himself, he flipped it over the net where Sonny Milano then batted it out of the air into the goal. Super, super impressive goal. And Torx gave credit for it being a cool goal, but then he then questioned whether or not it was good for the game. Uh, He acknowledged that if he was coaching those guys, that he would maybe have a discussion with them after the game about it. He said that he felt that the game was getting away from what it should be, that it should be a hard game. Now, a lot of people, obviously, have been taking issue with what Torts said. What? what do you agree with Torts, or, or do you also disagree with Torts? Uh, I'm going to be a, a fence-sitter here. <laughs> I
2: I get what Torts is saying, but at the same time, I, f- I can't remember who was sitting next to him, but it it's undeniable you can't deny that it is good for the game. He said it's been viewed 50 million times. I mean, how many in the history of hockey, how many things can you say has been viewed 50 million times? So yeah, I mean, it got it got eyes on it. But I also, I was very impressed with, like you said, seeing Zegers the next game beat the Jackets in the shootout and the shenanigans <laughs> he pulled kind of soured me a little bit on it. So once I, once I heard Torts' thoughts, I was a little, uh, more, uh, More likely to side with him, but yeah, as I get older, I kind of I find myself being that get off my lawn guy a little bit more than I used to be. My former favorite player for the Jackets was Brandon Dubinsky, and Mm -hmm. that type of player, you know, is not one. He's not going to do that. Too, he's going to have an issue with you if you do that to him. Yeah. So I get what Torts is saying, but at the same time, that on that play, that defense was just. Painful to watch. Zegras is standing back there alone, mm. uh, no pressure applied to him. Milano's standing in front. I think it was uh, Rasmus Asplund just, you know, put a one glove on his back. Yeah. If you're going to do that, then you deserve to be embarrassed by getting <laughs> scored like that. And in the one, there was one clip where it was Ray Ferraro was saying that uh, the players now are just so much more talented than you know players back in Torch's era where and you know just basically just to get used to it which it it is the way it's going I mean kids are seeing that now and now you know the years videos of it was blue jackets prospect Corson and coolmans was trying to do it behind the net at wisconsin so I mean you're going to see it more and more the uh just the technology even in like those composite sticks I mean zegris isn't a big guy he's probably using a 75 flex stick so I mean you're going to be seeing that more and more these days and whether I like it or not, we'll get used to it. But I do think that there should have been an answer to it. I'm not saying take a run at him and, you know, give him a cheap shot or anything. But, I mean, I wouldn't take it too, uh, too well if a 20-year-old kid just embarrassed me like that. So, yeah, like I said, I see both sides of it. But I do agree that it, overall, it's good for growing the game. 50 million is 50 million.
1: Yeah, I think that this kind of play is exactly... The thing that the NHL needs—it's exactly the kind of thing that torch's employer, ESPN, needs, because this is the play that you can slap on the Sports Center top ten, and all all of your shows. They can they can play this clip, um, just run it all throughout the day on ESPN. It gives exposure to the league people. Say, oh, that's cool. You know, it's the kind of goal that non hockey fans can see it and go like, oh, that's that's impressive. They just know immediately like that's a cool play. And I think what part of what makes it cool is that it's not the kind of play that you see all the time. Um, So if Torx is saying that he doesn't want the game to be all trick plays, I agree with him on that because I think if you get too much of that sort of thing, it gets old, it gets stale. I think there needs to be a balance in the game between skill and between toughness and effort. And like you said, that goal wouldn't happen against every opponent. You're not going to score that kind of goal against Tampa or Carolina Um, any decent defenseman out on the ice is not going to give Zegras the amount of time to get the puck up on a stick like that. Or like you said, someone's going to clear Milano out from in front of the crease. So that only happened against a defense like Buffalo's. So I think there does need to be defense in the game and effort and things like that. But there's room for balance. And I think that goal in a player like Zegras is a net positive for the league. I think we need to be embracing these young players like this that are the future of the league and they can do these incredible things with the puck, but also, yeah, tell the players that, you know, tell young players that they can't just be focusing on making plays like that. It's also important what they do when they're not scoring or not passing. What are you doing away from the puck? What are you doing to defend against plays like that? And, you know, I don't agree that, you know, like Torch said in, you know, in the past, you know, a guy like that would get his head taken off on the next play. And I'm against players retaliating, but especially for something like that. Like, don't don't retaliate for a player scoring a goal against you. Like, be mad at yourself for allowing the goal to be scored, you know? I understand you want to retaliate if, like, a player gets hurt. But don't just retaliate because your feelings are hurt, you know? Just get better at the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think wrong. I think there is maybe a better point there that he didn't do an effective job communicating, which is that there does need to be still the other side of the game, the defensive side of the game. But, um, but there still has to be room for skill. We still need to embrace that. The players are getting more skilled like that.
2: When I saw that, I also, I mean, we know Torts, so I actually don't doubt that he felt that way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was like, how much of that is, you know, him being on ESPN. Now they, they wanted that uh, curmudgeon, John Tortorella <laughs> to have something to say about that. I mean, at the same time, I, like I said, I don't doubt that he would have talked to his players in the locker room yeah. after the period if he did that. But I wonder if any of it was uh, was played up for the cameras at all because they want that him in that role.
1: Well, yeah, I, you might be onto something with that because this is one of those stories where a media member becomes the story. You know? Exactly. It, it ex- he was trending you know, on
2: Twitter for that the next day.
1: Rather than just spending one day talking about, ooh, the Zegras goal – it's you know Torts' reaction to the Ziegler school, and then there's a whole another day of conversation about what Torts said. Reaction to Torts' reaction, basically, which I guess we're perpetuating here by talking about it. Um, and so I, I, I feel like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be perpetuating that by talking about what media members are saying. But um, I also feel like, especially yeah, in the longer clip in the post game where they were talking with Ray Ferraro, that Torts didn't seem. Like It was a hill that he wanted to die on. He wasn't making a passionate stand here. He almost seemed a little embarrassed that he was saying it. I'm not saying that he didn't believe what he was saying. I just felt like he maybe realized right away that it was not a position that a lot of people were going to agree with (laughs) or not a position that he was really wanting to passionately defend or anything like that. All right, so that'll do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out all of our content at JacketsCanon.com. We've got late games coming up this week, so if you're like me and sometimes have trouble, trouble staying awake for the late games, you can always read our recaps the next day there on the site. So uh, stay tuned, and we will see you next week. For more content from the canon, go to JacketsCanon.com. You can also follow the canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJcannon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howland Moons. Go to AngelaPurley.com for more music and show dates.